0: Chapter Thirty Six of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey, Chapter Thirty Six. Sir Thomas Fairfax, who was dark and ruddy and of all good countenance, sat at his ease after dinner. To neither was he much devoted, but enjoyed both when he could. The lieutenant-general was eloquent from the other side of the fire on the right reading of jeremiah sixteen seventeen and sir thomas fairfax regarded him with a plaintive reverend curiosity there was an interruption from captain vere a young woman asks for the general sir fairfax sat up with what purpose says he briskly oh sir godly quoth captain vere tis a nurse with some petition about her father fairfax sat back again he looked pensively at his lieutenant-general and weighed the two evils let her come dick said he joanne normandy made her curtsy her face was worn and wan her long gray cloak stained from the road if it please you sir she began in a breathless hurry it does not please me until you sit said fairfax and rose to set her a chair and stood before the fire looking down at her with kindly eyes she could not wait to thank him i am joanne normandy sir and i follow after you to nurse the sick my father who is chaplain to the sergeant-major-general then your father is honestly a man of god quoth the lieutenant-general i have heard him sir he is a savoury go on sir he has been taken prisoner by the royalists i beseech you give an order that he be changed against a prisoner of yours for he is stricken in years and i fear for him in captivity and Indeed, they say the Cavaliers are bloody men. Her voice swayed from note to note. Be of good courage, child, said Cromwell. Nay, take heart, quoth Fairfax. They are foes, but they will not murder their prisoners, nor lay hands upon a minister of the Lord. For the rest, it shall be in charge. We will change him in the next parley. But now, but now, she cried, He is not a soldier. He is not strong to endure their hardness. Why, Fairfax looked at Cromwell, we have no prisoners here in hand, I think. And Cromwell shook his head. Yes, indeed. Only today Colonel Rick took some, I heard, and I have been to him already to beg him give them for my father. But he will not. He will hang them, he says. Fairfax stiffened. Through the full, easily, kindly face broke hard lines. Hang? "'Prisoners admitted to quarter. "'You are certainly wrong.' "'I cannot be. "'I have come from him. "'He swore that he would not spare one.' "'He deceives himself,' said Fairfax, "'and turned on the lieutenant-general. "'He is your friend, I think. "'Have you anything to say?' "'Sir, I would have you forget that he is a friend of mine. "'Why, sir, this is to be like Peter "'that was thirsty for blood out of all season. "'I pray that he be not even as Peter, "'which presently denied his lord.' but fairfax was writing already at towster thursday sir it's reported that you have taken certain of the enemy the which you propose to hang i am loath to believe it being a thing abhorrent to christian men this is to command you to keep them alive you will further send a trumpet to the enemy requesting an exchange for mr normandy chaplain to the sergeant-major-general and use zeal to effect this report to me early in the morning t fairfax to colonel nehemiah rick he turned to captain vere get the horse dick ride out quickly this shall serve you now child all we can in truth i thank you heartily you have helped me stay a vile thing nay sir nay tis i need thank you indeed she curtsied from one to the other of the two great men and was plainly in haste to be gone so go to your rest child you are provided yes indeed sir said she and hurried out Then Fairfax turned to Cromwell. Sir, I protest. If this be true, I will have no mercy on your Nehemiah Rick. It's a damnable thing. "Oh, sir, let's not be quick to condemn. It is a godly man, and a righteous, and if he stumble, it is by excess of zeal, whereof we can never have too much, saying that the Lord's cause is in more of danger from them of Laodicea than all the heathen. Yea, very principalities and powers which are against it. Zeal! the lord's cause cried fairfax i tell you sir i have heard of no man butchering his prisoners but the papist pappenheim shall we learn of him i tell you while i command this army we shall make war like christians you say well sir i do protest you are in an honest thriving way bear with me who am swayed by a carnal friendship but do in all things approve your motions with a humble heartiness o sir verily the lord hath a poor servant in me who put his honour second to a private kindness. In truth, I am a chief, a chief of sinners. He swayed in his seat and bit his lip till specks of blood lay upon it and his chin. Fairfax looked at his emotions with a patient wonder. Why, you make too much of it, said he. A friend is a friend, and why care not for him? But duty is duty. With which it appeared to Sir Thomas Fairfax he had come to the conclusion of the whole matter, but the lieutenant-general was still a prey to emotions. Fairfax grew weary. There were moments when Cromwell inspired him with a vigorous suspicion. It was impossible for him to believe in passion and emotion over little matters. A gentleman who professed to be in trouble about his soul, because he made a mistake in tactics, was a hypocrite to the plain mind of Sir Thomas Fairfax. A gentleman who did continually accuse himself of weakness and sin must be an unpleasant example of the braggart. And yet— and yet cromwell had never failed him and served him with a perfect faith though he must needs know which was the better soldier of the two of them ay indeed the man was a most excellent soldier fairfax who knew war thoroughly knew no match for this hysterical fellow with his tears and his convulsions and outpourings of the spirit which was certainly most strange stranger yet was his power over men that a fellow who was always troubling about his own soul should understand other men utterly, that a fellow who was always talking of his own weakness, fears should master sane, sturdy minds and command their devotion, these things were mastery to Sir Thomas Fairfax. My lord Fairfax, said his grace of Buckingham in later days, saw not far beyond his noble nose, but what he saw he saw clear. Certainly Fairfax did not suspect the doings of Joanne Normandy and would have been as much surprised as ill-pleased if he had seen her on her hackney pursuing his cousin captain vere down the watling street there was indeed no great folly in it for the outposts at Calcedote lay only a short two miles from towcester but sir thomas fairfax had opinions upon propriety joanne normandy was outside all that she had no fear while she did no wrong she could not bear to await uncertain tidings she had been wrought too long it was not her temper it was not the teaching of war to rest while others served her all which more modestly she told captain vere when hearing the host behind him he waited for what they might bring captain vere bring near her own age chid her in a fatherly style but could scarce bid her back or if he did ensure that she would obey moreover they were already close upon colonel rick's quarters so he brought her through the sentries and she waited anxiously in the dark of the village street while captain vere went to the cottage where the colonel lay it is idle to pretend that the zeal of colonel rick was sufficient to make him well pleased at a disturbance of his first slumbers he was in no way mollified by fairfax's letter and snarled over it at captain vere i see well that she may have been before me with the general that i might be put to shame young man be admonished evil men understand not judgment but they that seek the lord understand all things I understand the general requires you to obey in haste, sir. How now? Should I be taught by a child? Verily, if a ruler hearkens to lies, all his servants are wicked. Am I to take that answer back, sir? Nay, go to. I will see to it in the morning. Now is late enough, quoth Captain Veer. Colonel Rick exploded in an allocation out of Jeremiah. Its full force was broken by pistol shots. Captain Vere ran out in a hurry. What is it? What does he answer? What will he do? cried Joanne Normandy. But Captain Vere was not concerned for his errand or her. He stood with one foot in the stirrup, looking either way of the night. From either way came the swift thunder of horsemen, and Colonel Rick's troops, half-dressed, half-armed, half-waked, were running to and fro, seeking their tethered, unsaddled chargers. There was no time. Colonel Stowe, mediating over his fire at Faster's booth, had been inspired by the 23rd Psalm. Since his prisoners could take heart of that in their peril, it did not become him to surrender to fate. If they could endure with good heart, he must have good heart to act. He could not take back his word. For his men's death, the Puritans must die. So much he owed to the regiment and the cause. But there might be a better way. It was a chance. But all war and life walked on the edge of chance. It was more than a cool head would dare. But the Puritan temper had struck fire before his they should not show a stronger courage than he mr normandy should find that he possessed a soul too he sent for captain godfrey and the man who had escaped and hammered out of them all they knew of colonel rick's quarters then he took two squadrons you see them through flickering moonbeams a long clattering line ride by the watling street where straight as an arrow treeless and white it drives across the high ground a keen wind beat at their faces the moonlight flashed out and was swiftly hidden behind scurrying clouds now they were in deep blue shadow now bold against silvery light it was a night to mock men's eyes when a black gulf before them marked the fall of the land to the tow valley they were halted and split in half colonel stow had a quick parley with sedley the best of his captains and himself led the first squadron away by the open turf to the right a little while after the sentries of colonel rick to the rearward on the Towcester road where they feared nothing were suddenly overwhelmed by a storm of horsemen and while the night guard hurried to their aid a second squadron fell upon the outposts of the other side and all defence was beaten in the half-waked puritans ran hither and thither helpless and colonel stow's troopers stormed through the village riding them down colonel stow understood the affair the first mark of his men was the puritans horses In a few moments they had found the horse lines, and the horses were cut loose and driven off in a wild mob. The rest was easy. The Puritans, unarmed for fighting afoot, taken unaware, had no chance to stand, and were broken to dust. With the first wild charge down the village street, Joanne Normandy was whirled away and flung headlong. Even as she fell, she heard a deep-voiced roar over her. Open out! Files! Open out! What next she knew was waking to pain dizzy with a hissing in her ears she was on horseback in a man's arms his hand brushed the dust from her hair a pale face bent to her a face she knew she cried out like a child in fear and tried to start away but she was held fast he took no more heed of her she saw him looking all ways then he signed to a man at his elbow and a trumpet blared swiftly troopers began to rally about them a man thrust through them with authority I have all the rascals sir and she caught a glimpse of some fellows afoot i'll promise them tribulation said colonel stow and he signed again to the trumpeter the street was full of troopers now and sharp orders rang down the column soon they were upon the march again moving swiftly through the night before a strong rearguard colonel stow bent over her she saw again the earnest joy of those dark eyes and her heart changed its beat this is a fairer prisoner than i thought for said he and his voice was glad why she asked quickly and blushed and felt his arm about her and throbbed with shame ah was it you who took my father even i said colonel stow he laughed and be my soul i am not sorry for it now why is that my dear he has made me admire myself to-night colonel stow looked down at her with a whimsical smile awaiting her righteous wrath at levity but the first small, puzzled frown was quickly gone. She gave a long, happy sigh. Through the changing moonlight he saw the calm of her white face. "'I am sure he is safe,' she murmured. "'And how art sure?' "'You do not know much of yourself,' said the girl, and her voice was slow with weariness. Then he felt her stay herself more easily against him. Her eyes closed. Colonel Stow was aware of a strange tenderness as for a child, he drew his cloak about her shrouded in it she lay warm on his breast hidden save for the round white cheek so they rode on at an easy pace and she slept in his arms the wind was falling as they climbed to the hills the moon sank out of sight the dark stillness and the fore dawn came over all it was cold and they rode on cloaked by a thin mist like ghosts making homeward before the day the men were something weary and there was little talk only sometimes a murmur of laughter mingled with the dull rattle of the march colonel stow hardly knew himself he rested in strange calm there was no vivid feeling in him nor thought keen desire for the morrow's fortune was gone the eager mind sought no more into what might be he possessed the present and it sufficed it gave him indeed no all-conquering joy once in a ride through the night he had known the wild beat of passionate life that was past only he was greatly content while the houses loomed up before him while the column drew rein and broke a line of gold flamed across the gloom of the eastern sky soft light grew about them and horses and men moved in it vague and vast with the changing sound and movement joanne normandy woke and her misty eyes questioned "'Tis the dawn, child," said Colonel Stowe. "'Oh, the dawn!' she looked vaguely about her. Then her eyes came back to his. Colonel Stowe swung down and carried her into his quarters. "'Indeed, I can walk,' she said, stirring in his arms. But he took no heed, and she gave him his way. He set her down in that chair by the fire from which he had faced her father, and stood over her. It was strange to him that she asked nothing. The grey eyes were intent upon him. "'I will fetch your father, child.' "'Yes.' Colonel Stowe went out. A sergeant was sent on the errand. In the mellow light he met the minister eye to eye. "'It is dawn, sir. We are ready,' said the minister calmly. Colonel Stowe was some while in speaking. "'There is no need. I have found a better way. Sir, Colonel Rick will murder no men of mine. I have rescued them all, and Colonel Rick's regiment is broken.' verily the lord reigneth he is clothed with majesty cried the minister Oh, sir you have removed our reproach you have been his instrument to-night to chasten them that dared do evil in his name sir the best is that you are safe i will ask one thing of you now ride to general fairfax with a letter from me and tell him colonel rick's manner of war and give him your own tidings of that you know i will do it heartily Nay, hey, then but is not this a cunning way to do me a kindness and if it were, why may I do nothing for you, but in truth, sir, consider for the honour of your own cause, as for the safety of my men, it is fit he hear the truth from one he can trust. You say well, oh sir, you are too good a man for your cause. The Lord needs such as you, nay, but who am I to judge? It may be he has his work for you here, which of us sees clear, said Colonel Stow, and there was a bitterness in his tone, but I have more tidings, sir with what purpose god knows but i have found your daughter in our surprise of colonel rick and to save her from worse brought her here she is not her my daughter the minister gasped in astonishment come and see the girl rested at her ease her cloak was put off and the gentle light revealed her dainty fullness of her womanhood she had tried to set some order in her hair but it was wayward still a wild cloud of gold life had come to her round cheeks again her dark eyes told of peace her bosom swayed slow colonel Stow stood with his hand clenching upon the door while he looked and her father passed before him she started up dawn breaking in her eyes she was in her father's arms sweetheart he said and his voice shook sweetheart she hid her face in his shoulder why and how came you here i am his prisoner she murmured but what gave you to his hands you are not seeking to be a prisoner sweetheart she gave a strange little wild laugh, then she looked up, thrusting her hair from her brow. No, no, truly, I was trying for you, and she told the story of her night. And you, why, I suppose you were safe all the while, since Colonel Stow. The minister turned to Colonel Stow, who stood by grave and pale. Colonel Stow made a gesture. Tell her. I fell into the hands of a true man, child, said her father, caressing her hair the girl smiled, and trembling a little, held out her hand to Colonel Stow. He looked down at her grave and intent, and under his eyes she began to blush. His brow darkened, too. He took her hand and, bowing, held his lips to it long. That at least—I have that, he muttered. Then, with calm precision, you must need rest, as we do all. Make these quarters yours. Before noon, I must send you back to General Fairfax. He saluted and was gone. The minister, looking down at his daughter, saw her eyes grow dull and weariness draw over all her face. "'Nay, you are worn out, child,' he said, and led her to the settle. "'I do not know,' she said listlessly. He made her lie down with her cloak rolled for a pillow, and himself went out to take the good news to his fellows, but her cheeks were wet before she slept. An hour before noon the minister came to wake her she rose with misty dreamful eyes what is it she murmured yes i remember the noise of the mustering regiment was borne through the window where is he child he sets me free and you nay and hath given me two of my friends to be our guard back to the army is that all she asked why what more could you ask or hope verily he hath been most generous to us "Oh." yes said the girl and laughed a little oh yes her hood was close drawn over her eyes and they rode away she did not see colonel stow with his sword at the salute End of chapter thirty six